I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Esther. We're going to be looking at chapter 4 of the book of Esther. It's found on page 486 in the Pew Bible. I'd like for you to just wait. I'd like to, first of all, kind of introduce the book of Esther. I'm going to begin by reading a quote from a man, a theologian named John Miller, and this is what he says about the book of Esther. He says, a deeper reading of the book of Esther will show that an infinitely wise and patient God was moving every event toward the end that he had designed. The whole story, in all of its parts, is proof of the working of God's providence. So that's what the book of Esther is about God's caring for and providing for his people. Now, as we summarize the first three chapters, it's almost like it's a, a theater production. So we begin with the setting where the story takes place. The setting is Sushan, which is one of the three capitals of the ancient empire of Persia. We need to remember that Israel had been carried into exile, first of all by the Babylonians. But now, at this point, the, the nation of Babylon has been con conquered by the armies of the, Pedes, the Medes and the Persians. And the king of Persia, whose name is Xerxes, is throwing a huge celebration of his, his victories. And on the seventh day of feasting, obviously the king was in good spirits, he ordered his wife, Queen Vashti, to come to that celebration. And the reason was to show her beauty to all of the guests. Well, Vashti was not impressed. She did not want to be an object of display. She refuses. So King Xerxes literally throws her out of the palace in order to punish her for being disobedient. So that's the setting. Then there's a section that we would call the search. King Xerxes ordered a search to be carried out to find someone to replace the queen. So he wanted the most beautiful young maid to be sought out and found to become his new wife. Now, it happened that a Jewish man by the name of Mordecai heard about this so-called beauty competition. And he entered his cousin, whose name is Esther, a young maiden who was an orphan. Esther is described as one whose beauty was not only seen on the outside, but also on the inside. And immediately she won the favor of King Xerxes, and she was crowned the new queen. So we go from the setting and the search to the significance of this. Out of all the women from the entire nation of Persia competing for this position of honor and importance and influence, isn't it interesting that a Jewish orphan is chosen? That shows us very clearly that God's hand is at work. Esther can look back and see the rough pathways which ultimately led her to her present position of power and influence. And it's obvious that she's 
quite overwhelmed with a sense of awe that she, of, of all of the women, and by the way, it took about three or four years for them to find the right person, that she would be chosen as queen. So that's the significance. Finally, the seriousness of the situation. <clears throat> At the same time, an evil plot was being developed by an ambitious, self-seeking man by the name of Haman. Shortly after Esther was crowned as the new queen, Xerxes gave Haman a position, a higher position, which is above the princes that ruled the affairs of the temple. And of course, the power went to his head. Haman ordered that all of the common people were to bow at his feet whenever he would pass by. Well, Haman was told that there was a Jew by the name of Mordecai who refused to bow to him. And Haman was furious. So he conceived a hideous plot. He devised a way that he could just wipe out the entire nation. And all of this because of one man's unwillingness to bow to him. Haman proceeds to approach King Xerxes, and he gets the king's consent to exterminate the Jewish people, which Haman had made out to be a very rebellious and uncooperative group of people. Of course, that was false. So that leads us up to our text that we're looking at in chapter 4. I invite you to follow along. When Mordecai learned all that had been, <clears throat> had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting. Many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai, so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree that was issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg for his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and to say, all the king's servants 
and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside of the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death. Except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all of the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to this kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. People of God, as we stand at the threshold of a new year, 2023, I think this passage in Esther chapter 4 has something to say to us. In fact, a couple of things that I'd like to highlight. First of all, to look back in amazement and to marvel at where God has led us in the past. That he has placed us now where we are at, exactly where he wants us, where we can use our gifts and abilities to serve him. So that's the first thing. Second, for us to look forward with eager anticipation to what God, what his perfect plan is for us for the future. That he will continue to provide abundantly for us if we are obedient and faithful to him. Now back to our story with Esther. As much as Esther enjoyed rising, from obscurity to this position of influence, she also realized that it wasn't her, that it was God's plan, that it, his, it was his purpose for placing her exactly where she was at that point in her life. Mordecai makes the statement, and who knows but that you've come to this position for such a time as this. As mentioned earlier, the story of Esther is about God's providence. It reminds us that opportunities don't just come to us by way of luck or chance or the magical alignment of the stars. 
God has a plan and purpose and is always working out the situations and events that occur in our lives according to his master plan. We consider that in the context of the book of Esther. Just think about it. What appears to be this momentary lapse of judgment on the, on the part of the king, who knows, maybe he had too much to drink, but his temper flares. And as a result, he throws out the queen. And suddenly there's this opportunity. And it's at a crucial point in the history of the Jewish nation. Also think of the laughter that took place in the palace. They probably said, did you hear about that? That Jew Mordecai, he submitted the name of all, of all people. He submitted the name of his, of his orphan cousin, Esther. He really thinks that she's going to be the next queen. And then what about the decision of King Xerxes? As we saw earlier, he's a man who saw women as objects to be paraded in front of his guests. But somehow, of course we know how, his eyes are open to see that Esther's not just beautiful on the outside, but that she possessed a deep internal beauty as well. And then finally, it's more than just coincidence that Esther's made queen at the exact same time that Haman is plotting this evil plan to extinguish the Jewish nation. So we look at all those things, and we can say life does not just unfold by chance. Situations and circumstances aren't haphazardly thrown in our direction. It's interesting in the book of Esther that the word God doesn't appear even one time in the entire book. And yet, as you look at it closely, God's providence, God's presence is evident behind every event that takes place and behind every decision that is made in the context of the story. Now, I contend that the same is true for you and for me. God is always at work showing his plan and his purpose for our lives. He is the one who opens those doors of opportunity. He's the one that places us in the exact position that we can influence others for him. I think of the call that we receive to come here. I never imagined, even a few months back, that we would be here, of all places, in California. I wake up in the morning and go, am I really here? God worked it all, all together. It was his plan and his purpose that we come here. So instead of looking and thinking that we're helpless victims, that there are circumstances in our lives that are out of his control. That's just not true. We must understand that the unfolding of our lives each day is part and parcel of God's broader purpose as he works out history. God has provided opportunities for us to make a difference in the lives of others. I like the way that it's stated in the first part of verse 14. 
where it says, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Wow, that certainly puts us in our place. What it says is God's plans are going to succeed with or without us. So before we become too enamored with our own might, our own powers, our own plans, with the position that God has given to us, we must remember that the success of God's plans and mission does not hinge on us. To be used by God is indeed a privilege. Often, we have to look back to see that happening. We don't even realize that, that we're playing a role as God lays out his plans and his purposes until we look back and we see all the pieces of the puzzle that come together. Are you able to look back over the course of this past year and to see how God has put you in the right place at the right time? For some of you, that might be quite easy. You can easily see how God has led you through something, perhaps a physical issue or even a spiritual issue of lack of growth and then has helped you out. But for some of you, maybe you just need to hold on to the promise that Paul makes in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, where he says, we are able to rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. So whatever kind of year 2022 has been, God has his reason for bringing you where you are at, at this point in your life. He wants you to serve him right where you're at. He has placed you in this situation for such a time as this. In other words, it's not an accident. We need to remember that. Because we're not just going to have the happy, comfortable times in our lives. We're going to have the tough and challenging times. And we need to learn to reach that level of confidence, to look back and to marvel and to say, God has been there through the whole thing. In fact, he has orchestrated all of this toward his good purposes and will. So that brings us then to our second thought. We look ahead. We look ahead to see the new year. We do so with anticipation because we know God is faithful. We know that God will provide abundantly for us when we are faithful and obedient. We see that in the story of Esther, that God opened up this wonderful opportunity. In fact, she is exactly in the position to be used by God to help out the entire nation of Israel. But of course, she had to first make that decision to trust God, to listen and to respond in obedience. 
Now, that's not an easy task, and especially so for Esther. Think of the high price. Literally, her life was at stake. She needed to immediately decide whether she, on behalf of the Jewish people, would come before the king so that the, the race would not be exterminated. It was crucial. There was no time to waste. And yet, as we're told, if King Xerxes was in a bad mood, she could be literally killed for approaching him in his chamber. Chapter 4 tells us the response that Esther gives. It tells us that she chose to trust God, to intercede on behalf of her people. She asks for prayers and fasting from the people. And then she goes on to say, I will go to see the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. There are some who interpret that as her saying, well, if I perish, that's it. It's hopeless. It's a lost cause. But I think a more literal translation of the original language would say, if I were to die, then it was meant to be. God's still in control. She's willing to put her life under the care and the protection of God. Now, I wonder if you or I would have done the same thing. Sometimes I do that as I read God's word. I look at it and I think, what if I was in that situation? I think so often we can look at God's word. We know the message. We can apply it to our lives. We know what the correct answers are. But how about when the rubber hits the road? How about when our lives are at stake? Would we be willing to trust and obey God? How easy it is to be drawn to the pathway of least resistance. Maybe to ignore or to keep silent. Maybe even to rationalize. Hmm, why should I put my life on the line here? Nobody else really seems to care. Or, who am I to think that I, one person, would ever be able to make a difference? Or, sometimes we're pretty good at this. You know, I've prayed about it. And God really hasn't laid it on my heart for me to respond and to do that. I need to feel or sense his power. We have ways of rationalizing. And what we learn from this passage in the Bible is that God will not use you as an agent for change if you're unwilling to pay the price. If you don't respond with obedience. The bottom line requirement for us as believers Paul tells us is to put off the old nature and to submit to Jesus Christ completely as our Lord and Savior. Jesus states in John 
12, verses 24 through 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So as we enter into this new year, I think it's important that we remind ourselves the true measure of our lives is not based on what we have, but how we give of ourselves in serving the Lord. Max Licato just recently wrote a book published in 2021 entitled, You Were Made for This Moment. Yes, it's about Esther. And he says, your life is part of a plan. You were placed here on purpose for a purpose. Like Esther, you were made for this moment. Did not God place you on this planet in this particular generation? Didn't he determine your birth date and your nationality and selected you to be part of a certain neighborhood? What if you, like Esther, have an opportunity to act in a way that will bless more people than you could ever imagine? Think about that as we approach 2023. Hold fast to the words of our covenant-keeping God. I will never leave you or forsake you. Nothing is too hard for God. One theologian says, your problem is not that your problem is so big, but that your view of God is too small. Meditate less on the mess and more on the master. Less on the problem and more on his power. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul is writing about in Romans 8, verse 28? When he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You can trust God. You and I are not alone. We have a Father in heaven who promises to lead and to guide us. And it's good that as we enter into this new year, we reflect on that. We take it to heart. For who knows? Maybe you have been chosen for such a time as this. I'm going to conclude with a prayer that was written many years ago by Augustine. Let's pray. What then are you, my God? What except the Lord God? 
For who is the Lord besides God? Or who is God besides our God? Most high, most good, most powerful, most omnipotent, most merciful and most just, most secret yet most present, most beautiful and most strong, most stable and incomprehensible, unchangeable, and yet able to change all things, never new, never old, but making all things new, ever acting and yet at rest, gathering and not needing, carrying and filling and protecting all things, creating and nourishing and perfecting, who is the Lord besides God? Amen.